It is the smallest of seeds, the easiest to go unnoticed, the one with the least promise. Yes, here Jesus makes reference to the mustard seed in this way, but this is also transferable to a number of people, communities, and nations. First, it can apply to Jesus' own people, Israel. When his mother announces to her cousin Elizabeth that she is pregnant with the long-awaited Messiah, Mary praises God for looking with favor upon her low status. This low status is not limited to her being a young girl. It can also apply to her being an Israelite, a Jew, belonging to a people living in a territory violently occupied by the Roman Empire. She is the smallest seed, belonging to a nation of the smallest seeds. So when her son refers to this new reign, this rule or kingdom of God, being like a mustard seed, he is speaking as a mustard seed himself. And this is actually a little fun to, to, to reflect on. So um, scripture is full, as we all know, of metaphors and images, and um, every book in scripture has its kind of own the internal themes and um, ethos, if you will. And so in John, it's referred to this, this kind of phrase uh, that, that is referred to in Matthew and Mark as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is referred to in John as eternal life. Um, and, and all of this, all this is, is just an image of what life with God looks like and what life on earth looks like when God is in charge. That's all that the phrase kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven or eternal life really means. This brings us to our second reference. Jesus himself, he is himself a mustard seed. Imagine his life born to substantively a single mother among a overly surveilled and forgotten people. When he mentions turning the other cheek in Matthew and says, when they force you to go one mile, go with them too, the they to which Jesus refers are Roman soldiers who had the latitude to force any non-citizen at any time to do anything for them at the time they're asked to do it. Those were the conditions for Palestinian Jews on the outskirts of first century of the first century Roman Empire. The mustard seed is the trampled upon, ignored, illiterate lives in the margins of Rome's violent occupation. Have you ever felt small? Have you ever felt invisible? Have you ever felt ignored? If so, that is your claim 
to being a mustard seed. It appears that Jesus' choice of this image is intentional because in the grand and obvious scheme of things, Jesus is a small person speaking speaking to small people about this very project, this very fragile project he refers to as the kingdom of God. One of my favorite vignettes related to this phrase, kingdom of God, is actually found in Matthew, not Mark. The mother of James and John, sons of a man named Zebedee, will refer to her as Miss Zebedee, comes and bows before Jesus with her two sons. And I always like to say Miss Zebedee is the Bible's first helicopter parent. She has a favor to ask of Jesus. We all know this story. What do you want, he asks her. She says to him, declare that these two sons of mine will sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. In your kingdom. Everyone had their own idea about what the kingdom of God is like. And she had a very specific idea about what the kingdom of God is like. And Jesus knows that her vision of the kingdom is not God's vision of the kingdom. So Jesus says to her, you do not know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup I am about to drink? Jesus asks her in response. And James and John says, we are able. These are two sons who've been sold a bill of goods by their loving parent. They're not able. They're not able. What Miss Zebedee and her sons fundamentally misunderstand about the kingdom of God is that it is a mustard seed, not a crown. It relies on rain to flourish, not conquest. Near the end of Matthew, Jesus does come in his kingdom. And yes, there is one person to his left and one to his right, but they are hanging, not seated. They are on crosses, not thrones. Are you able to drink from this cup? We are able, James and John says. No, you're not. You don't know what you're asking for. This is not what the kingdom of God is is like. It's like a mustard seed. This is the smallest, this is the smallness of the kingdom, the mustard seed. That God is on the receiving end of suffering alongside us. That over and over again throughout the Gospels, nameless women end up as heroes of Jesus' stories and parables. That an, un, that an occupied small people embody the resourcefulness of God's economy by providing shelter, food, and sustenance for strangers. And this is where I'd like for us to end with that image of shade in Mark 4. Counterintuitively, 
the mustard seed grows and grows until it is substantial enough that birds in the sky, and, and I've been in church my whole life, I've never even heard a preacher talk about this part of Mark 4, not to say that, that the preachers I've heard are bad, maybe they're just not creative, um, but I've never seen this part of Mark 4 before. The most remarkable part of this image to me is that this mustard seed grows and grows until it is substantial enough that birds in the sky, get this, are able to nest in its shade. It's a useful tree. <laughs> it's useful. And that image alone is its own sermon. And I won't preach it now. But if you come back, I will. I promise you. If I pray my whole life, attend church every Sunday, whether in person or online, and yet am shallow and self-absorbed and emit the harshest light instead of shade, rest, and play toward those with whom I live and work, how alive I, am I actually? How alive am, am I actually if my life is not of use to others? And I, this was not planned, but I do want to insert here, all of you know I grew up in Fort Worth, Texas, a special place in a very special neighborhood that um, in the early 20th century, the street where my parents live, and they still live here, it is dotted with these gargantuan pecan trees. Gargant I mean, they're huge. I grew up in the shade of two very large pecan trees. You know, we don't, we don't have a lot of mustard bushes or trees in that part of Texas, so I, I was trying to connect uh, the mustard seed to my own experience, and I began thinking about pecan trees in, in my parents' neighborhood. And my parents' two pecan trees actually produce the best pecans, and I'm not just saying this because I'm their son, they produce the best pecans on the street whereas the other pecans from the other homes are thin, you know, their, their shell is thin and, and easily bruised, the pecans that my parents' trees produce are, are thick and fulsome. And because of that, lots of neighbors, usually at night or very early in the morning, what do they do? Y'all are laughing. You know exactly what they do. They come by and well, I was going to be generous and say they pick them up, you know, by, with their hands. They come by with their pecan contraptions. Um, and if you've lived near pecan trees, you know what those things are. I don't even know if there's a technical name. My parents had a red one that my brother and I would use growing up to go through the yard. And my parents, they've lived in the same home for about 31 years. And over time, this is something you just expect every other year because these particular pecans only yield pecans every, good pecans every other year. And so my parents' rule, basically, is, you know, if you come into the lawn <laughs> to pick up the pecans, you know, you're, you're, not, you're on our bad list. But if you pick up the pecans 
that fall into the street, that fall into kind of our common property as a neighborhood, you're fine. We won't run you off. And you laugh. If, if you know my parents, you know that they're happy to run people off um, if they're not in the right place at the right time, <clears throat> if they show up uninvited. What an image, and I'm not trying to make my parents out to be saints, even though I, I do think, especially my mother is actually a saint. Um, but imagine having those two massive pecan trees in the middle of that neighborhood and sort of closing yourself and your property and your lawn off from the many people who walk by whose lives are enriched by those pecans. And I know that's something that's very simple, but what an image that if I am a mustard seed and I'm planted in the ground and I become this large tree, and yet I'm not offering shade and my branches are not useful for the shade of other beings, of what use am I? One of the most beautiful parts of our campus, I believe, I guess that would be our, our southeast corner, and that's St. Martin's Chapel, where a few of you will pray in just a moment. And around 1932-1933, Episcopalians, as you all know, love plaques. Episcopalians love plaques. And it's as close as Episcopalians come to ancestor worship. We love to put plaques, you know, when someone has died or someone's done something important. And there's a beautiful plaque outside of St. Martin's Chapel, and it just says the following, very simple invitation. Enter, rest, and pray. Enter, rest, and pray. Imagine a church that does not offer that kind of invitation to its people to enter, rest, and pray. What use is a church that does not invite people in to enter, rest, and pray? Now, we've had to be creative about people entering, resting, and praying during COVID, but there's something to be said about a community, a church, a person, a family, a nation that offers its branches as shade for rest. Birds come to it and rest in its shade. And my goodness, may the same be said about us. It is in our smallness, our sense of awe in the wake of God's power and mystery that we are warmed by granting shade to others because we know what it's like to need that same shade ourselves. Amen.